welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm your host, Ashley Van Houten. Hope you're having a great Tuesday. Uh, I'm honored and flattered, as always, that you guys join me every week and listen to my podcast. So thank you so much for being here. Um, let's get into it, I suppose. It's really hard to make small talk with you guys when you're not here to to answer me back. So uh, today's episode is one that was recorded earlier in the year, um, a little bit closer to the beginning of, I don't know, I guess we'll still have to call it the pandemic, a time when we were all stuck inside and a little bit unsure and a little bit anxious and freaked out. And maybe not a lot has changed, but sort of in the earlier days when it was a little bit more uh, uncertain, I guess. Uh, My friend and I, her name is Rachel Gregory. She hosts a podcast called Metflex and Chill. She's a nutritionist. She's a low-carb keto expert. She's a coach that works with a lot of women um, to help them uh, improve body composition, to help them um, figure out their ideal diet. She's awesome. She's a great person. I have so much fun when I get to chat with her. She just bought a new puppy. Super cute. You got to go check her out on Instagram so you can look at her puppy in her stories. Um, But earlier in the year, we decided to host um, an online workshop talking about just staying sane during insane times and how to kind of manage your health and your stress and your fitness and your eating during times when the world seems to be going crazy. Because the only thing worse uh, than the world going crazy is you kind of going crazy along with it. And there are always things we can do to kind of try to keep it together, you know, not be perfect and and not try to um, go overboard, but just sort of some behaviors and thought processes and and plans and strategies that we can do to um, make the best of a situation that we're in. And so during this workshop that we did, we did a bunch of live calls where we were taking uh, questions from people. And one of the big topics uh, that we got into was this sort of concept of emotional eating, which is a pretty universal thing. Like as I talk about in this, this interview or this call, everybody does it. Everybody eats emotionally like really, or has at one point in their life, or has used things like food or booze or something less than ideal to comfort yourself, to numb yourself, to distract yourself from what's going on. That is a universal human behavior. So um, it's something worth exploring and talking about and and trying to figure out ways to manage that, um, knowing that it is such a natural and common thing. So we dive into that. We talk a lot about it. We talk a lot about the shame around food, quote unquote, mistakes. Um, we talk about how we can track our behaviors, how we can be mindful of our behaviors without it becoming an obsession. Because of course, that's a difficult thing to do too. Us humans are kind of bad at, at moderation and balance. I think sometimes we're much better at being crazy and extreme. And when we try to find that common ground, that's a lot trickier. So we talk about all of those things. Um, and I hope that this episode is helpful. I think that it, uh, I really wanted to, to sort of repost it because I thought it was a valuable conversation. And I think it's one that is always important. It's still useful. We're still in a weird, uncertain place in life. Um, and even if we aren't, you know, even when things are going well, uh, human nature has a way of kind of biting us in the ass and um, throwing wrenches into things just when we think we have it figured out. So uh, yeah, that's it. I hope that this is useful to you. Definitely go um, give Rachel a follow. We are planning on doing this a little bit more regularly, um, mostly just because we love chatting um, and learning from each other and, and sharing with each other's audiences. So it's looking like we may kind of try to do like one Q&A episode together um, every month that will either go on my podcast or on hers. Um, so stay tuned for that. And if you like it, if you if you enjoy our chats and our banter and you want us to talk about some other things, let me know. Send me a message on Instagram. Reach out to me at The Muscle Maven, or you can send me an email. My email address is in the show notes. Um, and let us know what you want to talk about, what you want us to talk about, what subjects you want us to cover, because we are open to it all. So with that, I hope you enjoy this episode about emotional eating with my friend, Rachel Gregory. Let's just start with sort of the big topic, the challenge and struggle that pretty much everybody, and not just in this group, but everybody on the planet has. So I think it's a good conversation for us to have. And it's sort of centered around, I kind of feel like there's sort of two pieces of this like larger conversation. And one of them is 
maintaining good habits during times of stress or upheaval or quarantine um, and seeing your regular healthy eating habits or schedules being sort of tossed in the air and you don't know what's going on. So there's sort of that part of it. And then there's the um, comfort, boredom, sadness eating that people do all the time during times of stress or change. Um, That seems to be maybe ramping up during this time because we're home, we're close to our fridges, we're stressed out, all of those things. So that seems to be something that is coming up a lot with people. Um, And I think people are kind of just asking questions about maybe tools or how to look at it or how to approach it. And I think it's a really big conversation. Um, So it's almost tough to to know really where to start. Mm -hmm. But I think that one of the things that I kind of wanted to say based on what I've been seeing from our group, and you tell me what you think about this, is that I really feel like like this group is a bunch of really smart, enthusiastic women. And for the most part, when it comes to um, stress eating or falling off the wagon with your, your plan, I really feel like it's not a lack of knowing what to do. It's more just feeling like you are sort of out of control or giving up mm-hmm. control of, of what you know you should be doing. So it's not really like, I don't know if we really have to talk about like what to do. You know what to do. You know mm-hmm. what's going to make you feel better. You know what's going to make you feel good immediately and feel worse later. Like we all know what we're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. It's feeling like we're almost out of control and we're doing the stuff we shouldn't be doing despite ourselves. And that's yeah. kind of like the deeper sort of conversation. So um, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just keep, I, I just keep coming back to the idea that like um, it's not like habits, healthy habits, healthy routines, healthy schedules, discipline, all of these things we talk about um, enact like, enacting these habits in our life so that they aren't decisions anymore. They're just a part of our life. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that takes work and it takes a lot of work on the outset. And then it's, it's less and less work to maintain the longer you kind of keep up that consistency. But what I keep coming back to when I'm struggling with this is just really internalizing that these healthy habits and schedules and plans that we think about and work so hard on, they are literally four times like this. Like Mm -hmm. you've heard it before, but you know, it's easy to be on top of things and to be really on the ball when times are easy, of course, right? When you have low stress, when everything's going your way, when everything's great, of course you can keep up your schedule. Everything's a-okay, right? But it's times like these when we really need to be healthy and feel good and feel in control. That's when the habits are more important. So those days and times and weeks and situations where you feel like, oh, things are uncertain and crazy. So I guess I'll just throw all my other habits out the window and just YOLO, like eat whatevs. Yeah. <laughs> this is the exact time when you don't do yeah. that. Like it's the whole like when times get tough, the tough get going mm-hmm. kind of situation. Like this is when you really want to double down on whatever your schedules and your habits are. So that's kind of like my initial thought. Yeah, no, 100% agree. I think that the times when you're not stressed and you're not struggling that those are the times that you have to build up those habits. Um, and that's what, like, I think it's super important. Obviously we're in this time right now, but I think you can still do that and focus on that. And I would say like the one thing to start off with, if you're struggling, if you feel exactly like you said, if you feel like you know what you're supposed to do, you know how you're supposed to execute, but you're just not doing it because you feel so like just out of, whack I guess that's the easiest way to say it because I've been feeling it myself too over the past few weeks um the biggest thing that has helped me and has helped a few people like some of the clients I work with is just having structure and making sure that you can like follow along even if it's just like okay today is Monday right everybody says you know start on Monday whatever even if you didn't start today plan your day tomorrow and like plan everything that you're going to do write it out Um, the article you posted yesterday, which we can talk about that had a bunch of really good tips in it, but just start with one day. It doesn't have to be like, okay, I'm going to plan my entire week and stick to this for the entire week. Why not plan tomorrow, right? Plan what you're doing, time block, you know, right when you wake up in the morning, what are you doing? And then push that out throughout the entire day. When are you eating? Like, what are your meal times going to be? What are the foods that you're going to eat in that meal time? Especially for right now. I don't always recommend this like 
for normal life, like I recommend, it depends on your goals and it depends on you. But like, if you are, you know, you want to eat when you're hungry and focus on that type, that type of thing. But if you're someone who's struggling right now with not understanding that and not like your body not knowing, you know, when you're actually hungry or not, because you are under stress, that is when setting your meal times, setting the food that you're going to eat in that meal times is so important. So what I would say, like, plan that out for tomorrow and just make sure that you wake up tomorrow and you have your schedule for just tomorrow. If you can get through that schedule and hit everything that you, sorry, that you plan to do, mostly with like the meal times and like how you structure your day and you get to the end of the day and you like checked off, okay, I ate at this time when I said I was going to do it. I ate this meal when I said I was going to eat it or whatever. You will feel so accomplished by the end of the day, just looking back at that one day and saying, wow, I did it. Like I was able to just stick with that one day, stick with the schedule. And that's going to give you momentum, right? That's going to give you momentum into the next day. And that's going to build the structure. And I think that's the biggest thing with the article you posted yesterday. It's like, we are so out of our structure right now and our normal habits and our daily habits that we have to implement some type of system to get back into it. Um, and I think like, like they mentioned in the article and a lot of people were saying how they learned the domino effect. I think that's super important because if you can get that domino effect going and you can just start with one day or even, even half a day, like just plan out half a day, whatever you feel comfortable with, but it needs to be something where you can literally write it out, have it on paper or have it on your calendar, have those time blocks and just wake up and say, okay, I'm following this, this day, or this even half a day, whatever it may be. And you will trust me, you'll feel so accomplished and you'll just want to keep going. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's my advice. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think another thing that I talked about, I think maybe we talked about it um, with Gabrielle um, earlier, but it's the idea of replacing bad or less optimal habits with new ones. And I think that that's really important for people to remember, because especially when we maybe have more time on our hands, or we're, we're feeling more restless, because we don't have as much to do or whatever. And a lot of times we, we fill that void with food and with eating, um, and eating when we're not hungry. And, but any kind of habit, if your habit was smoking, or, I don't know, something else bad, whatever. Drinking, drinking, someone they want to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. And we can get into that. But the idea of removing something that was really serving a purpose, even if it wasn't good, like if you're drinking to numb the pain or eating to numb the pain Mm -hmm. or doing whatever to numb the pain, it's doing something for you, even if it's not, you know, ideal or healthy. So to just remove it and be like, okay, I'm just going to try to soldier on without it, that's not really how human physiology or psychology works, right? So it's very important to have a plan for what Mm -hmm. to replace this like sort of negative thing you want to change with something better. So if it's um, eating a unhealthy snack in the afternoon, because you're sitting around and you're feeling restless and crappy, and you just want to comfort yourself to instead of just removing it, think about a plan, think about something else to do. So maybe you start prepping healthy protein, high protein snacks. Maybe you um, decide like that, that three o'clock slump when you're feeling weird, like that's when you schedule your call with your friends, or Mm -hmm. that's when you like do your 20 minute learning a language or whatever it is that you're doing during quarantine to, you know, keep your brain going. Um, And, you know, I used to like roll my eyes at people who were like, oh, I, I eat too many, like I eat too much ice cream. So I just replaced it with cauliflower ice cream. And you're like, that's not a replacement, dude. Like don't (laughs) kid yourself. But you don't always have to replace everything with food or with something that's going to make you feel like you're settling, right? Because if you're eating for comfort or boredom, not because you're hungry, you don't need to replace that food with a healthier food because you don't actually need the food. So Mm -hmm. think about something else that's going to make you feel um, rewarded or productive or happy or settled or calm, like do some breathing work, some meditation, take a hot bath or Mm -hmm. something instead, but plan that ahead of time so that you don't wait until you're hungry or stressed out or bored. And you're like, Oh, what do I do? Of course, you're going to go grab the chips, right? So part of the structure that you're talking about is when you know, you're having your tough time, um, plan ahead for something to replace that, that bad habit. with. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I completely agree with that. And then I would say also just going back to like what I posted yesterday with those hunger hacks and those 
those healthier options. I think personally for me, especially when it's like late at night, I've always been a nighttime snacker, like stressed or not. Like that's like, it's just always happened. And like you said, I've tried to go cold turkey. I've tried to replace it with things and think certain things work um, at different times. And in certain situations, I know that it's like, I like need something. And so that's why having things like those electrolyte, like the electrolyte jello, which in itself is like a beneficial food. So it's not like you're going out and getting jello packets from the grocery store that have like dye in them and just like crappy stuff. For example, that electrolyte jello recipe is like I use 100% or not 100% grass fed gelatin, right? Which is good for you. Um, and electrolyte powder, which is a natural, I use Ultima Replenisher, which is, has no dyes or anything. It's made from natural, like fruit ingredients, stuff like that. You can check out the label. But anyway, with that being said, it's like, I'm replacing it with something that is beneficial to me, um, rather than it being something that is, you know, maybe it's still low calorie, but it's still crap. If that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would say the first thing you should do is exactly what you said. Like, think about if you are actually hungry or if you're bored and if you can replace it with something like taking a bath or going for a walk or having a cup of tea or something like that, like that's probably the best thing. And if you find yourself not being able to do that, or if you try to do that and then you, after you do that, you go get the bag of chips, then I would say, okay, instead of a bag of chips, maybe you have that jello on hand or those gummies on hand. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. That's just kind of my two cents for that. Yep. I like it. I also want to mention quickly, um, because people are talking about varying degrees of this emotional eating, like just a reminder that you are not alone because literally everyone does it. There's nobody in the world who hasn't used food or booze or something as a coping mechanism. So don't feel like you are weak. Everyone, everybody that you've ever seen on Instagram with a six pack, everybody that sells nutrition programs, both of us here talking to you right now, literally everyone has done it and we all backslide and it happens. So mm-hmm. take some comfort in that. Um, and also some comfort in the fact that yes, you can also do something about it. But the one thing that I did want to mention here is that there is a difference between the universal um, human tendency to use food and alcohol occasionally or in some ways as a comfort. And then if you actually are dealing with um, an addiction or a truly disordered, dysfunctional attitude towards eating. And again, this can be a bit of a gray area, right? Because when you think about, oh, I just dropped my lip gloss. When you think about, um, you know, people that you would consider to be like, for example, bulimic or anorexic or people who have clearly defined eating disorders that need to be medically treated for it. And then you think those are one group of people. And then the rest of us are another group of people. There's actually like a really wide range and gamut in what we consider dysfunctional, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that some people can absolutely um, deal with this on their own or deal with it through like this kind of resource or um, sort of whatever can kind of deal with it in in a um, less uh, severe sense, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And then there are, there are people who are going to need more help and more assistance, um, that we are not capable of doing. And that's outside of the scope of what we can offer here. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to just mention, and I'll put this in the show notes or show notes in the comments, podcast in the, in the comments is, um, somebody that you might want to follow and look into another doctor friend of mine. And Rachel, I don't know if I've introduced you or if you've met her yet. Um, her name is Dr. Ellie Michelle. Do you know about her? I don't think so. Okay. I'll, I'll do like an intro because she's amazing. Um, you should definitely have her on the podcast. She's fantastic, but she is, um, a naturopathic doctor. She's based on the West coast and she focuses on women's health and women's hormones, but also addressing, um, disordered eating. Um, and she has shared actually on my podcast, I'll post, um, a link to it. Um, Mm -hmm. she's shared about her own personal history, um, with disordered eating and, um, healing through that and working through that. Um, and 
And so, and she really can speak really intelligently to being able to maybe tell the difference between we're just sitting around and bored and eating and then feeling guilty about it versus this is like a serious problem that I really need to get external help to address. So I just wanted to mention that, that like there, there's, you know, this is a very complicated issue that it's really layered. And I'm not saying that anybody out there needs to go get medical attention or not or whatever. I'm just saying that this is, there's a lot going on here potentially for some people and, um, and you know, maybe it's outside of our ability in this venue to kind of like address all of those levels. So yeah, but Ellie is amazing and she does telemedicine and teleconsulting and stuff. So if, if you check her out and you think that that's something you might want to explore further, um, you can definitely do that and I can introduce you and all that kind of stuff. So I yeah. just wanted to kind of put that there too. Yeah. Yeah. And to piggyback off that too, it's like, there's nothing, well, first of all, exactly what you said, like we can't give medical advice, especially when it comes to this and eating disorders and all that, that is still like medical, right? That's considered medical. Like, so we're, all the things we're talking to right now are just things that we've experienced for ourselves or have seen with our clients or things like that. And just kind of not giving any, you know, concrete advice or telling you, you should be doing this or you should be doing that. That's not what this is. Um, but then going past that also, it's also realizing that it's okay to ask for help. And that is something that I struggled with personally for a long time, especially as being a nutrition coach myself and, you know, strength conditioning coach myself. Like it took me a long time to personally ask for help. But when I did, and I got my my own help when it came to following through with my nutrition or my exercise or whatever mental stuff too as well, it completely changed my life. And mm -hmm. I think that that is something that Everybody needs to take a step back and say, okay, like the definition of insanity is doing something over and over again and not seeing results, right? And so if you feel like you've been doing things over and over again and you're just going back to square one, spinning your wheels, take a second and be like, okay, should I continue to be doing this on my own or should I seek some help? Because that is where that's the kind of the, the line where it comes to, okay, I'm actually going to be progressing towards my goals if I can ask for that help and have someone there who can help me with that versus continuing to regress and continue to spin my wheels and go in circles. Yes. Um, so you have to just also think about that and think about like what, where you're personally at and, and all that. So that's yes. just something I want to mention. That's a really good point. And that, that goes along with the idea of like insanity, doing the same thing, expecting a different result also hits home very strongly for, I think a lot of women with regards to the guilt we feel when we mess up. And I've seen a lot of people making this comment and dude, I have done this a zillion times. You eat garbage and then you beat yourself up over it. Right. And again, that's a very human reaction because you feel like you did something wrong. You made a mistake and now you feel bad about it. Right. Um, but I remember reading and this is that's probably been the biggest um, change in my attitude towards food has been working very hard to mindfully get over the guilt part of it, take the emotion out of it. And I remember reading um, the book Wired to Eat by um, Rob Wolf. And I've had him on the podcast as well. I can put that somewhere. Um, and he wrote or he, he said it a couple times, but for some reason, the way, the blatant way he put it, it really stuck with me where he was saying like, there is no morality attached to the food decisions we make with regards to junk versus healthy food. Food isn't, you know, ethically better than other food and you choosing to eat junk food doesn't have any reflection on your moral character. And like the, I, the language we've put around eating crappy food, like we're cheating, we're cheating when we eat something or we ate something bad and we're weak for doing it. Like we've created that narrative. That That's not a real thing. Like mm -hmm. if we're all bad, weak, cheaters for eating junk food than everyone on the planet is right so yeah. that those words mean nothing anymore so yeah. when i am able to to eat something and even mindfully ahead of time say look i'm gonna eat something that's total sugar junk because i really want to i thought about it it's <laughs> worth it for me you know and then you don't feel guilty and they've literally like from a pragmatic scientific standpoint they have literally done studies that have shown that if you, the way you feel about the food you're eating affects how you use it and metabolize it. So mm. if you, if I eat a cupcake 
And I'm like, oh man, I'm such an asshole for eating this cupcake. Like this is the worst. And then I'm eating it. Yeah. You eat a cupcake and you're like, I've been ready for this cupcake for a week. I am so excited about this thing. I feel so good about it. Our bodies are going to react to it differently. Like that's a thing. So if you're going to be a human being and sometimes eat less than optimal things, the best thing you can do is enjoy the treat that you're giving yourself and not beat yourself up over it. Because again, from a scientific point of view, we all know that this negative reinforcement and beating yourself up does not help. You can't expect to invest time and energy on improving something that you don't love or have respect for. So if you think that you're a lazy, useless, whatever, weak, you know, that's not the kind of language that a trainer would give to their client to do better. Right. So why would we tell that to ourselves? So anyway, long winded rant about just like, we really got to like mindfully try to get over the guilt. And if you eat something and you do feel guilt, let's try to get over it more quickly. Let's say, look, I'm a human being. I did it. It tasted good at the time. Now let's move on. Because Mm -hmm. what, what actually makes that decision bad is if it spurs you into not working out because now you feel crappy. I might as well eat more because I just ate that thing. You know what I mean? That's how the cycle continues. So instead, I ate this thing. It tasted good. Probably wasn't the best thing. All right, let's move on with our lives because that's what you got to do, right? Yeah. No, I completely agree. 100%. I wish I had a microphone that I could just drop because everything you said was like, (laughs) yeah, okay. (laughs) Should we we, um, maybe look at some questions? I think come in. Okay. Okay, everybody, just a couple quick minutes. Let me tell you about today's show sponsor. Don't fast forward my favorite people ancestral supplements. Has there ever been a company that spoke more to my soul I don't think so. These guys are very on board with the nose to tail movement and the concept that eating the whole animal, guts and all, is the healthiest and most sustainable natural way to do it. They also know that maybe it isn't the most practical thing in the world to just eat kidneys and brains and hearts all day, like I do a lot of the time, if we're being honest. So they've conveniently processed and desiccated these high quality animal superfoods into pill form for those of you who, you know, aren't maybe ready for a tongue sandwich yet. And no, that is not me being dirty. I literally made a buffalo tongue sandwich the other day, and it was delicious, but that's a whole other topic. Anyway, they have a huge range of offerings from beef liver to a combination of of beef organs to heart to kidney to bone marrow, tallow, collagen, lung, you name it. Um, And all of them kind of address specific needs or micronutrient requirements. And you can kind of pick and choose and and play with them depending on what you need. And you can reach out to them directly and ask, and they will be happy to give you more information. They're super transparent. Look, I'm one of those people who actually eats organ meat, but when I'm not eating it as much, because maybe I don't have any in my fridge, I'm traveling, I'm just not feeling it, um, I use their supplements. And look, I'm just being honest, I haven't had a cold in years. I've got pretty good health and blood markers and all that stuff. And I really believe that that is in large part due to my nutrient-dense diet. So if you want to give their products a try, go over there, uh, ancestralsupplements.com, or use the link in the show notes. Uh, Reach out to them on Instagram at ancestralsupplements. Tell them I sent you. Seriously, if you send them an email or a message on social media, they will get back to you. They're amazing like that. So go check them out and use the code MAVEN10 for a discount. Um, I would start, I would recommend starting with either the beef organ complex or the beef liver, just because you're going to get the most bang for your buck nutritionally. But they, like I said, have all kinds of options. So go and figure it out for yourself, learn a little bit, ask some questions and give it a shot, right? I mean, you really can't lose. So jump on the meathead bandwagon with me, guys. Check out Ancestral Supplements, use the code MAVEN10. And now back to this amazing interview that I just interrupted. Hold on, I'm just going to go back up to the top here. Everybody's saying hi and nice. Okay, so Jill is asking about eating smaller, more frequent meals, better for improving metabolism and weight loss. What do you think? So personally, I think that it's not so much about the metabolism and weight loss. It's more just adherence-wise. So if you're someone who, say you have, you know, you're have a goal in mind and you're trying to stick to that goal or whatever it may be, if you feel like you could adhere more to the foods you're eating and maybe if it's a specific calorie goal you have throughout the day, if you feel like having five to six meals a day or four to five meals a day helps you adhere to that day better and go through your day feeling good and energized and all of that, 
and what, and if it comes to workouts and stuff like that, if you feel good with that, then I would say, then you should be doing that. If you are someone <clears throat> who feels better, maybe having three larger meals, um, there's some people who don't, if you have, there's a lot of different science and opinions on this, but if you have, you know, smaller meals, sometimes you don't get that fullness factor. You don't feel full if you're having just a small meal. And so maybe you tend to eat more right after that meal um, mm -hmm. rather than if you have, say, like three big meals a day and you feel satisfied and full after that. If that helps you adhere to what you're doing, then I would say you're a three meal person per day. Um, if it's two meals or one meal, it all comes back to how it makes you better adhere to the plan that you are trying to adhere to. Mm -hmm. um, more so than it comes down to, oh, this study said that, you know, eating four, five meals a day, six meals a day, you know, makes you lose weight faster. Or this study said that I should eat OMAD one meal a day because mm -hmm. I'll lose weight faster. It's in my eyes, it's not that it's about you and what you can adhere to. And then also realizing that that's going to change over time. Mm -hmm. So you also need to realize that maybe something that worked for you for three months, four months straight might not be working anymore. And so yes. that's where it comes back to realizing, okay, um, one, you know, am I doing the same thing over and over again and not getting results? Two, do I need someone who's an outside fact factor to look in and see what I'm doing and help me with what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where all of those things come into play, having a coach, whatever it may be. So that's mm -hmm. my take on it. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think just to, again, speak to the, I think people have heard a lot of this, uh, like science about eating smaller, more frequent meals, improving metabolism, Jill. Um, I, I believe that that is generally debunked because I think ultimately, again, as much as people want to fight this, when it comes to fat loss, it is about a caloric deficit. So it really matters if you're eating one massive meal a day, or if you're eating five small meals, it's about how many calories you're taking in versus how many calories you're burning. So, mm -hmm. you know, like Rachel said, it's really ultimately at the end of the day, what you um, prefer, what you're going to stick to, what feels best for you um, because if you, whichever way you set it up, if it seems unsustainable or ridiculous and you're thinking like, I can't wait till I get through this three month period, that's not, you know, the approach yeah. that you want to take. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it all comes back to like those intermittent fasting things and things like that. Like if you feel like intermittent fasting and, and, you know, pushing your first meal off till, you know, noon or something helps you adhere to your intake more then do it. If you feel like you have that, you know, meal at noon and you're like ravenous the rest of the day and you eat tons more, then maybe that's not the best idea. So it all comes back to, again, what you can adhere to and what makes you feel good in general. Mm -hmm. um, okay, hold on. I'm just going to, I think there's one other question here that we may... Okay, so no medical insurance. I'm afraid I may have some GI issues, very similar to IBS, and hoping for some directions relating to lab tests you can obtain online. Are are you super familiar with any online stuff? Not, not really in terms of GI tests. I mean, like for hormones and stuff like that, the Dutch test, which which you talked about with Gabrielle. I know that one is a really good one, but in terms of some of the other things, it's really, I don't know. I don't really have, it's more of like, you got to see a medical doctor in that sense. Yeah. And I know there are quite a few, um, like, uh, like stool sample mm -hmm. tests you can set up, but I don't know in terms of like their, um, their, you really have to have like yeah, a medical doctor. Yeah. That's, yeah. I don't, sorry about that. I'm not sure that's really something we can speak to. And again, with the, the IBS or GI issues and digestive issues, that is such a complicated topic, not to like freak anybody out. But like, if you're saying I'm having some sort of IBS like symptoms that could be related to so many things that could be like one specific change in your diet, that could be stress, that could be hormonal, like that could be so many things. Um, so I mean, it may be, I guess a good place to start is just to like research some good, um, online resources for like, there's, um, Dr. Michael Ruscio, you know about him, Rachel? I, yeah. He's I like a that. health doctor. We can, I, got, I need to start making notes here because we got to put some stuff um, in the show notes. So um, Dr. Ruscio, you could check him out. Um, gut health person. What was the other thing that I wanted to put um, in the show notes? I forget already. With, oh, Dr. Uh, Ellie Michelle. Yeah, Dr. Ellie. Okay. Um, and I would also say that sometimes like, 
with testing, even when it comes to any sort of tests, I think it's important to test, but I also think that when you are getting, like I've seen people spend hundreds, not thousands of dollars on testing because they want to find the answer when it really comes back to like, you have to treat the underlying cause. And if you, even if you don't know the underlying cause, it comes usually comes back to what you're eating, the food you're eating and testing out different things and starting with real food. Right. And so if you're not eating real whole foods, that's the first place to start, like get the junk and the processed stuff all out of there because that could be causing tons of GI stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then past that, it could be you have some other underlying issues that maybe, you know, you're sensitive to gluten or you're sensitive to, you know, nightshade, eggs, whatever Mm -hmm. it may be. It's it's working with someone to kind of find those as well. And maybe it's dairy or things like that. So I would say that it also, like, even if you get all this testing done, in my opinion, it's like, why don't you just start like looking at what could be the underlying cause of that rather than Mm -hmm. trying to get all these tests and find out, you know, what's going on and, and all of that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you can start, you know, with the, like an elimination diet sort of thing, like a whole 30 based situation, an autoimmune protocol, whole 30, which is even more strict, but getting rid of things like nightshades and dairy and eggs and like anything that is a common allergen or a common kind of issue. Um, and just go super strict for a couple of weeks and pay attention to how your body's reacting. And then you kind of, then you do the like sort of adding one thing back in at a time. And, you know, it's a lot of work, but if you're experiencing gut distress, that's something that you probably want to put some thought into. Or even the new elimination diet nowadays is carnivore, right? Because it's a lot more simple than saying I need to cut out this specific thing if you can just, I mean, I'm not advocating that you just go complete carnivore, right? But it's a tool to use. And if you you don't want to think about all these different things, then just maybe for a week, you say, okay, I'm just going to eat meat Mm -hmm. and see how I feel. Mm -hmm. And then you introduce these things back in, it's an elimination, it's a form of a, of a, it's a form of an elimination diet, but it's one that I've seen work for a lot of people. Yeah. It's super easy to adhere to generally, at least for a short period of time. Um, we've got another friend here talking about eating pizza and then her period starting. <laughs> Does anyone else have that issue? Okay. So literally <laughs> once a month, I just feel the desire to eat chocolate. And then the next day, here we go. So literally like clockwork. I'm like, Oh, I ate chocolate yesterday. Guess what? Period. So I mean, but yeah, your, your body's telling you a lot of things, right. And you are um, like, I don't know if people have heard of Rachel, have you heard of seed cycling that kind of, yeah. So I have a YouTube video. I have two YouTube videos where I go through them all actually. Oh, good. Okay. Post that. Cause that's interesting. But you know, for people who have like crazy cravings or um, who have a harder time with PMS, like some, some of us, you know, have like little mild cramps and we're kind of a little maybe tired the day before. And some people have like really struggle. Um, and there could be some things you could be doing nutritionally that really help. Um, and even there's, there's um, like approaches to working out during different times of your cycle and during the month where maybe your estrogen's up or your progesterone's up or whatever. And it might um, speak more towards doing different types of movement and exercise and eating different things. And, you know, around your, uh, your period, you want to be getting sort of like your iron and your red meat up if you can and things like that. So there's, there's like a lot you could get into. You could really nerd out on um, eating and exercising around your cycle. So, um, but yeah, you're definitely not the only person who wants to crush a pizza or a chocolate yeah. bar period. 100%. And also I would say definitely. So I talked a little bit about this on my podcast with Dr. Jamie Seaman, who is going to be coming on this week. She's going to be the live expert on Saturday. So I would say, come on that live, ask this question. Cause she has a lot of great um, points that she'll answer and that she'll address there. So definitely ask her that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So going back to the carnivore thing, three months. Yeah. I mean, I definitely wouldn't recommend three months at the outset. Um, mm-hmm. There would be, yeah, I, I would say like, again, some, some of it depends on what kind of issues you're experiencing, um, what your diet was before. Like if you know, you're going to, you're sort of going to be able to tolerate um protein pretty well during that period. But um, like for me, again, going back to when I do my sort of carnivore resets, so this isn't an elimination diet, it's just a like re- recalibrating my body because I've been maybe traveling or I've been eating too much sugar or I've been having whatever issue. I'll literally do strict carnivore for three to five days. 
And if you're eating like a nice variety, right? So I don't, I don't go by the like only ground beef thing. You can if you want, but for me, it's a lot more sustainable and enjoyable. If I'm, I'm eating fish, I'm eating chicken, I'm eating pork, I'm eating different cuts of beef, doing all that stuff, bone broth, shellfish, whatever you want to eat that's protein, eggs. Um, and I'll do just that to satiety. So I'm not counting any kind of macros. I have no idea how much fat or protein it is. I'm just eating the amount of meat that I want to eat at the time that makes me feel good. Um, And I'll do that for three to five days. And then like the next day, I might incorporate some avocado or maybe a salad or some like vegetables on the side. And then the next day, maybe I'll put my sweet potato back in or whatever. But um, unless you're, you're dealing with something really intense for most people, if you're just trying to like reset, get your, see how your body's feeling three, five days, maybe a week on the outset might be a good starting point and see how you feel. Yeah, I completely agree. And I would say like, especially if it's your first time embarking on it, like no more than five days, because just that just takes a mental toll on you. And you're like, wow, I have, if I have three months, that's a lot, but like even a month, right. Even two weeks. Um, it's just like mentally hard to wrap your head around that. And then, so you probably won't be as adherent as if you were like, okay, I only have to do this for three days. I can buckle down and eat meat for three days. Um, and you have like a set end point right there. That in itself is going to switch that kind of switch in your brain and say, okay, I can do this for three days or five days. Um, and that's something that I did. We did a five day reset in my Metflex tribe, like, uh, three months ago, back in January. And it was five days and it was a five day like reset carnivore. Let's just do it and see how we feel. And even just after five days, so many of the women notice different things that with like sleep and digestion and things like that. And so it's just five days you can get, you can actually get a good amount of information out of just three to five days for sure. Cool. Um, okay. We've got another question. I just want to say before we, um, cause we're going to log off here in a minute, unless anybody has any other questions. So if there's anything, you know, obviously this is a topic that we could talk about forever, but if anybody has any specific questions about, you know, sticking to a plan, sticking to a schedule, what do I do when all I want to do is eat cream eggs? Like whatever, if you have any questions, ask them now before we, before we sign off. But, um, we've got another one here talking about hormonal testing kits. Um, so in, uh, my chat with Gabrielle, and this is a kit that I actually have that I have yet to take, but it's, it's one of the sort of like overall respected kind of tests that you take to check your hormones. It's called the Dutch test. Um, you've heard of that, right, Rachel? Have you done that? Yeah, I've taken it. I can actually, uh, I have like an account to get them. I haven't set it up yet. So that's something Mm -hmm. that I can look into if, but Yeah. yeah. I've done it before. Yeah. And there's different ones too. There's like Dutch plus and Dutch, mm-hmm. whatever, but it's, it's a like basically a full hormonal panel. Um, again, you're going to need to send it to a medical professional. So you're gonna have to be connected with somebody like Gabrielle or your doctor or whatever, who can take the results and interpret them for you. Um, but that is one that you can do in the mail. Like you can order it, you do the little, whatever I you, you pee on a stick a couple times, however it works. And then you send it out and someone interprets and discusses it with you. So um, I have mine in my in my bathroom that I've been too lazy to do, um, but it's there. And I'm actually very interested in finding out the results. So that is one. I don't really know about any others because that's the one that always comes up to me. So look up the Dutch test if you're interested. Yeah, that's like considered right now. It's considered the gold standard for home- hormone testing because you do, like you said, you do uh, dry urine tests throughout the day. And then if you get the Dutch plus, you do like a blood uh, like a blood test, uh, dry blood test. Um, I did it like over a year and a half ago, I think, or even two years. I don't know when it first had come out. Um, but it gives you a good amount of information. Um, there are some caveats to it in terms of like the time, like of your cycle, um, and taking it and things like that. You're supposed to take it around a certain time. I don't remember exactly. Um, but we can look into it. It's all, it's all on the the website, the Dutch test, you'll see that. But yeah, that would be probably the gold standard, just going off of like normal blood tests and um, some other testing that you might find on like online, it might not be like, usually those aren't as accurate as uh, we want them to be. So right now, the Dutch test is what I know of for hormone testing. Okay, cool. All right, a couple more questions coming in. Track your macros. Do you just eyeball? I'm really in tune to the macros because it helps you have structure, but I feel like the mental state of doing so is unhealthy or monotonous. Okay. There's a lot of, you know, with every question, it's always like, it depends, but kind of give, give our two cents, but I have certainly tracked macros in the past and I certainly have 
gone back to tracking macros if I'm feeling like if I have a specific goal, which may be fat loss, or it may be that I've just been super lazy with my food for a while and I want to get back on track. Um, I find it relative, I find it useful um, for me, again, temporarily. I'm like a big fan of doing nutritional protocols temporarily, because when you do something too long term, you rely on it instead of relying mm -hmm. on your heart and brain and gut and mind. Um, and again, for, for every person that it works great for, because it gives you a feeling of understanding and control, it can feel unhealthy or obsessive for someone else. So you need to know what it's doing for you, right? It can mm -hmm. work for a period of time and then it no longer works and you need to honor that. Um, if it is feeling unhealthy or monotonous to you, then what I would recommend if you sort of feel like you're kind of dependent on it is like, instead of this like five day carnivore, try, try like a week where you don't track your macros, try to just eyeball it. Like, you know, if you've been eating stuff that's strict enough that you're macro checking it, just try to eat exactly the same way for the next week and don't put your macros in your app, just eat, just look at it and just eyeball it and have faith in yourself that you know what you're doing. You know what approximately your like five to seven ounce or whatever protein is, like you know, right? So just, just try it out. And if it feels good to you and it feels like, oh, I don't have to put this stupid thing in my macro counter after every meal and that's like a relief to you, amazing. Um, and then you can, you're sort of empowered to not have to do it. And it's still there. It's still a tool you can use if you need it. Um, but I think, and I think people lose sight sometimes of like the point of it all. Like, again, if you have to be super strict for a specific reason and that's your way of tracking, okay. But for most of us who are just trying to be healthy and have a good relationship with food, like, do you need to be tracking your macros every day? You know what I mean? Just <clears throat> question. Like, that's kind yeah. of my feeling about it. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that, like you said, it all comes back to the individual and also what your goal is. So if you have a strict goal, I think that if the more aware you can be of what you're consuming, that is very important. Um, but then it also comes back to the person. So for me, um, I have been like, I went through a period of time, like I go through periods of time, like, like years of tracking, years of not tracking. Recently, over the last year and a half, I've been tracking my macros um, diligently, because for me, I found that it just having that structure there and having and just knowing it gives me comfort, right. And so I've gone through periods where maybe I'm like, okay, I'm getting a little bit too crazy. But I know, like mentally, I know that, right. And so like, if I go on vacation, I'm not going to be tracking my macros and trying to estimate all these things on vacation. That's the time where I'm like, all right, it's cool. Like, I'm, I'm not going to go over crazy and like eat all the stuff that I don't like, know that's not good for me and stuff like that. But it's a time where I'm like, all right, this is a planned break for me. This is, you know, I'm not going to track now. But on a normal basis, especially for me right now with a specific goal in mind, for me, it gives me structure. It gives me a sense of control. Um, but it all comes back to the person. Like you said, if you feel like you're, it's monotonous and you're getting out of control and it's mentally harming you, then maybe you need to take a break. Mm -hmm. um, but if it, you feel like you're going through your day and it's, it's adding awareness to it, it's part of your habits, right? And it's part of your structure, then I personally think that it's not something that's quote unquote bad. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the issue with macros is where it comes to the the very, very heavy part of flexible dieting. So I think macros mm -hmm. got a very bad rap um, in terms of the, if it fits, if it fits your macros, right. Where you're trying to fit in like this Snickers bar here and this, like you're going through the day and you're playing, I call Mac, <clears throat> I call it macro Tetris, right. Where you're trying to plug in all these different things and see what foods you can eat to hit your specific, specific macros wow. with that. I would say that is its whole other discussion and not, I, would, I do not advocate that. But if you're tracking your macros, and for me, it's like I plan my day out, I plan my day ahead of time. So like, I don't even necessarily track, I guess, throughout the day, because I've already planned it. Obviously, I have it in my tracker, it's planned there. So I'm gonna eat what's in there. But it gives me control, it gives me that structure, which in, in a sense, gives me that freedom. So yes, yeah. yeah, I mean, I consider metabolic flexibility a healthier approach to if it fits your macros. Like I roll my eyes at all this, you know, um, hashtag IIFYM on social media because so much of it is dudes with six packs who talk about how they can eat cereal and Pop-Tarts all day. And it's like, yeah, maybe you can, but we're also losing track of what's the most important thing, having a six pack and eating your Pop-Tart or 
being healthy and eating healthy food. And I think metabolic flexibility is the better approach because it's still not demonizing food. It's not saying you can never fit this into your macros or you shouldn't, or if you do, you're gross or whatever. It's just saying like, have a resilient, healthy body so that when you go on vacation and you drink too much, or when you have an Easter holiday and eat a lot of chocolate, like it's fine because most of the time you're doing, you're eating nourishing whole foods and your body can burn fat and your body can burn carbs and you can do all of those things. So I think again, it just goes back to with the tracking, like there's some people commenting here, I use it when I'm feeling out of control and you've echoed that too. It's a tool. It's not Mm -hmm. Your identity. It's not a thing you have to do to eat properly. It's a tool that you can use when you want to use it. Yeah. And also realize that too, that like what you mentioned with the different, and you talked about this with Gabrielle about protein and like not everything that you put, even if you're tracking to the T or you believe you are, there's still going to be variances in the different foods you're eating. So that's why I think that if it, fit your mac- if it fits your macros type approach is so off because it's like, protein doesn't do the same thing in your body as carbs and fats do, right? We know that from our discussion a few days ago. So even if you're tracking that protein, it might be uh, a little bit different than what you think is happening. So you have to be aware of that. And yeah, yeah. I could go, we could go on and on about, about yep. this. But. We could go on and on about everything. Let's be real. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So this is a good one. So Tiffany says, I started on meal plans, but find it hard to stick with them because my lunches are always leftovers. Breakfasts are pretty simple. Is there a planner out there where I can have more ability to customize while still meeting my whole food macro goals? Um, so Rachel, you can speak to this too. I will post something I actually um, got from a friend of mine the other day that is like this really cool healthy food matrix. And a lot of these things exist out there, Rachel, you might have one too that you can post, but it's basically sort of like this awesome matrix of like, protein, like, I don't know, healthy carbs, fats, spices, whatever. And it kind of just shows like, pick one thing from everything. And there's a billion different combinations. And there you go. Um, But I think like speaking to what she's saying, like, there's sort of a monotony and a boredom and like, I'm eating the same thing and all these leftovers, why can't I do something else? I think that this is the time to be a little bit creative um, with things that um, kind of tweak without completely upending your routine, right? So Mm -hmm. I personally, maybe it's like a throwback from like bodybuilding thing, because I, I have like a really eclectic palate, and I love to eat everything. But I'm also kind of cool with eating like the same things over and over again, when the situation calls for it. So I don't like, for example, like I could eat eggs and avocado, every day for every meal for the rest of my life or chicken thighs and sweet potato for every day. Um, but I like to, to mix things up. And I think one way to do that, if you are being cognizant of like not wasting food and eating your leftovers and trying to stick to like a relatively small base of healthy foods, that's where condiments come in. That's where spices come in. That's where different cooking methods come in. We just talked about that. That's our challenge today is like post something different like something that's in your pantry that you never use and figure out how to use it. Because we want to encourage some uh, creativity and different thinking without having to go completely Mm -hmm. off the rails. So like for me, one of the things that I did recently that like changed my healthy food game is I bought an air fryer. You and I were talking about this air fryer the other day. Like, it's so awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Because I want these like crispy sweet potatoes and I want like chicken thighs with crispy skin and I could never make that in the oven. Like I can cook them in the oven, but they're, you know, sweet potato fries don't, you know. So I bought this air fryer and now in like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I make all these delicious things super easy and they're crispy and I'm not adding a bunch of oil to them or whatever. And so that's kind of switched up what was maybe getting a little boring in my routine. I made it delicious. And we've got women talking in the um, the post today about adding kind of cool spices or different like condiments and stuff. And you can add like little things that completely change things up. So if you make a salad, if you like prep a salad for the week and you're like, this is boring as hell, add a different nut to it, add a different fruit to it, like add, make your own salad dressing and add something spicy in the, with the olive oil, like, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that, that can kind of make little tweaks without taking up a ton more time. Anyway, that's my recommendation. No, no, I agree. And I think two things with this, when it comes to meal plans and, and when I posted those meal plans, the, they're sample meal plans, right? They're supposed to, what I found over the years, like working with clients is like, There's some people who come to me and they want me to write them an exact meal plan that says, eat this now. And it's hard because 
you can follow that for a little bit and then you're just like, okay, like I'm just going to go back to what I know and, and feel and, you know, eat. And obviously it depends on like where you're starting all of that. But I would say that with the meal plans, you want to make sure that you're using them as a sample to get ideas. And if you feel like you need to, if you feel like you have to just stick to them like completely, I think that sets yourself up for failure because it's a sample meal plan. Um, I think it's a good starting place. But we all kind of go back to our go-to foods. Hopefully they're, you know, healthy, good foods, not like Pop-Tarts and stuff. Um, but so I think you need to kind of sit back and say, okay, what what do I feel good with? And how can I, like you said, take these simple things and, and mix them up a little bit? Another thing I would say is also, if you feel like you're bored with what you're eating and your meal plan, instead of going out and trying to find like five different recipes to make for this week, choose one thing that you're going to switch up. So for me personally, actually, the last few weeks, I usually stick to the same just meats and veggies and things like that. And I've noticed like the last two weeks, I've just kind of been getting like, like kind of turned off from that a little bit. I don't know if it's like the situations we're in or I've just been doing it for I haven't been going out to dinner because you like go out and have like a nice meal somewhere else at, you know, on the weekends or something like that. So I haven't been doing that. Um, so I would say pick one thing for me. I actually made a stuffed, it's, it's, it's like a random just took everything that was that I had in my fridge, not everything, but um, it's I made like a stuffed pepper casserole. So I never make casseroles, right? But this week I was like, okay, I'm going to have something different for lunch. I'm going to pick one new recipe to make um, and have that for lunch throughout the week. So I made this big like stuffed pepper casserole, which just is meat and veggies, like a bunch of stuff I had in my freezer, um, some like tomato, like canned tomatoes, just some spices, bunch of bunch of stuff. I can post the recipe if it, I haven't tasted it yet. So hopefully it's good. Right, but yeah. Um, yeah, I'll post that recipe, but I would say don't get too crazy um, yeah. with trying to like find all these new recipes for this one week, like choose one thing, maybe one or two new recipes, because with that, you're going to start to make things a little bit more complicated for yourself. And that's going to add to stress, right? And um, it's going to just, it's going to be too much from experience with myself and with clients. So choose one thing that you're going to change up and also realize that like you don't want it to be, if you do have a specific goal in mind, keeping it simpler is usually the best option. Um, so trying to get super fancy with new ingredients and new types of foods can actually add to more overeating and uh, things like that. So, yeah, no, that's a really good point. It's like the whole paralysis by analysis thing people talk about. They're like, if I can't go from zero to a hundred and change everything, I'm not going to do anything or I'm just going to freak out in the midst of it. It's like just one step, one step. Yeah. And then next week you take another step. And then next week you take another step. That's the whole point of this like three week challenge, right? Next week, we're going to be talking about fitness. We can still talk about food, but we're making these like little progressive changes that mm -hmm. make a big difference over time. Um, okay, so one one last question, and then we're going to get going. I appreciate everybody who's been commenting. We're reading all of them, and we appreciate you guys. Um, Jill is asking about intuitive eating. So I don't know about these names. I don't know specifically who these people are, but of course, I've heard about and discussed intuitive eating for sure. Um, and that's a, I don't know, it's kind of like an interesting sort of catch-all term, because what exactly exactly does it mean? I mean, we know what intuitive means. It means you, you don't have to follow maybe specific rules and macro checking and you get to this point where you can just really like listen to your body, I suppose, and your body signals and what really what you need versus what you're just like feeling like or what someone else is telling you to eat. Um, and I think it's one of those things where in general terms, of course, that's where we all want to get to, right? We want to get to the point where we know our body so well that we can honor what it needs and just know what it needs, right? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times, well, I mean, I, I am there sometimes and then sometimes I'm not. And sometimes like I've joked about this intuitive eating thing before because I'm like, look, if I just listen to my body, going back to the Pop-Tarts thing again, I just be eating chocolate all the time because my body's telling me that I want chocolate. So, but is that your stress telling you that? Is that your emotions telling you that? Is it the fact that you know you have chocolate in your cupboard telling you that? Mm -hmm. So intuitive eating is a great concept. Um, but a lot of people need to do a lot of work to get there. And you can fall off of that concept and come back to it. And so yeah. it's complicated. Um, but I mean, it's a great, it's a great concept for sure. Yeah, I agree. And I used to think too, I used to be like, okay, 
the end goal should be intuitive eating, right? That should be, you know, if I'm going tracking macros and things like that, like I want to eventually get to intuitive eating. And I think that that in itself is a, is a good concept, but I think that with the world we live in and all of the, the foods that we have access to now and the way that our food is made and all of that. So obviously if you're avoiding processed foods as much as possible, things like that. But, but like you said too, it's like, even, you know, your body telling you like, or your mind telling you, I want chocolate or I want this. It's like, it's not always, you know, it's your brain can play tricks on you and your brain is kind of rewired to not even know what is intuitive anymore. Right. Um, so that is where the issues come into place with, with this subject of intuitive eating. Um, there's actually, I have this book here that I'm almost done ish reading. It's called the hungry brain. Oh yeah. That's um, a good one. I have okay. a podcast interview with him. I'll add it to oh, the, really, I'll add yes, it to the add that. Great. Because, um, this is an amazing book. It's, it gets in a, li a little sciencey, um, but there are like a lot of major takeaways and it kind of talks about the history of food and how our brains have developed and, and all of that. And so I think this is a really good resource. This, and I would say in terms of just wrapping this whole, this whole live up the book, Atomic Habits. Mm -hmm. Um, have you read that one? Mm-hmm. That's an awesome book, um, especially during a time like, I mean, I, I would say like right now, it, like a lot of the stuff that you will learn in that book, you will, you'll, you can begin to implement now. Um, I would say like, I'm thankful that I read it, you know, a few months ago because it actually really helped me with this time that I'm in right now and building on the habits that I've already started to build on. And like we said in the beginning of this, it's like, having those habits in place, that's what we turn back to when we're in times of stress and the unknown and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, but if you haven't read the book, Atomic Habits, that's an awesome book too. that's it for today, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thanks for sticking with me. I hope that this episode helped you in some way, um, made you feel better, made you feel less alone, made you uh, feel like maybe you have some tools or some ideas for um, how to navigate the craziness of life that isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Um, so that's it. Uh, if you're listening to this um, when it first comes out, I think we're about a week out from my book being released in real stores where real humans can go look at it and pick it up. That's crazy. Um, the book is called It Takes Guts, and it's going to be in stores on October 20th. You can, of course, order it online if you don't want to go to a real store. Uh, just go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Chapters, wherever you buy books, and look up It Takes Guts. Of course, it is a nose-to-tail book focusing on organ meats, but there's also plenty more information in there. Lots of fun stories, lots of contributed recipes from chefs and awesome, smart, cool people. Um, it's worth your time, I think. Um, but if you guys are going to get the book, if you've ordered it, if it's showed up already, maybe, um, I'd love for you to share any recipes that you made, anything that you learned in the book that you enjoyed. It would make me so happy um, because this is my first book, guys. Like, this is my first time trying this, and I'm anxiously awaiting the feedback. So, um, like I said, as always, send me a message on Instagram at the Muscle Maven, or you can send me an email um, and ask me any questions that you want. And uh, with that, thanks again. Shout out to my show sponsors for making this possible, allowing me to put this information out every week. Ancestral Supplements. I love these guys. When I'm not eating the real thing the real organ meats. I am using their grass-fed desiccated organ supplements. Currently, I am working my way through uh, their bone marrow product. I prefer to eat bone marrow because it's delicious. It's literally like meat butter. It's so good. It has all of the collagen and amino acids that you need to make your hair and skin and nails and joints and, and digestive system just thrive. Um, but you know, you maybe aren't eating bone marrow every day. So if you aren't maybe try the supplement. Um, and I have other recommendations for you too. So if you're into this idea, if you're maybe not ready to buy the book yet, check out Ancestral Supplements and use the code MAVEN10 um, when you buy. 
and you'll get a discount. So it's ancestralsupplements.com. And speaking of natural things that are made from beef, my favorite skincare company, you guys know about these guys already. I talk about them all the time, Primally Pure. They make incredible products using just a few natural ingredients like beef tallow in their body butter. And yeah, you think, okay, is that like I'm putting beef fat on my body? Am I going to smell like a cow? No, you're going to smell amazing because it has other ingredients like shea butter and essential oils and coconut oil and delicious, beautiful, natural ingredients that make the products seem very luxurious, very high-end, without that high-end price tag, without the weird, sketchy ingredients. It is perfect. They're beautiful gifts. They have a whole line of um, scent-free, super, super... um, easy on the skin products for babies and kids that I use on my own skin, but they make great presents for new moms or or people with little babies. They want to use some nice products. Their natural deodorant is the only natural deodorant I've ever used that worked. Um, So that's a pretty big endorsement. So head to primallypure.com, use the code musclemaven for a discount. Have a great day. Thank you for being here and uh, join me next Tuesday for another awesome episode of Muscle Maven Radio. We'll be right back.